This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 72, The Seven Baby Steps and the Dave Ramsey Gospel. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your hosts, Mark Willis and Holly Bach, invite you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Hey, everybody. Welcome to our latest episode. I'm your co-host, Mark Willis, and with me in the studio today is Holly Bach. Welcome, Holly. Thank you, Mark. Hello, everyone. So we've got some fun stuff to cover in a little mini-series we're doing on our very favorite radio host, uh, Dave Ramsey. So who is Dave Ramsey? If you're not familiar with Dave Ramsey, all I can say is, where have you been? Uh, You know, he's got a syndicated radio show with over 500 stations. Uh, You know, he's got a plethora of books out there, a TV show on Fox Business. I mean, if nothing else, you can just admire his Sean Connery good looks. I mean, he's just, you know, a great guy to look at. Uh, Sorry, Katrina, if you're listening to this. And all kinds of high-priced online courses and seminars you can take uh, to find out more about his popular Uh, Seven Baby Steps, which is what we're going to be covering today. Uh, And you can always certainly find out lots about him on his website, DaveRamsey.com. And I'll just be upfront with you as a financial planner, a certified financial planning professional, and as someone who just wanted to get steady with my own money, I started and cut my teeth uh, with Dave Ramsey's material. I mean, I was a rabid Dave Ramsey fan. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, I did also stumble across some of the dark sides of his teaching style. Uh, and really, it comes down to that it's it's sort of built around this airtight argument using emotion uh, rather than logic to get people to agree with you. Uh, so that's what we want to spend a little bit of time on, looking at the good parts of his material and some of the downsides or the, the dangers, I guess, of just uh, signing up wholeheartedly into his material. So he has learned, or at least he uses a lot of really nuanced brain science. I don't know if he's done this, the, the work to figure this out or not, but he certainly uses brain science and psychology in his marketing and his financial curriculum. He knows that, uh, that it's, lo- it's not really logic or rational thought, but it's more emotion that really gets deep down into the recesses of our brain and gets us to think more emotion like anger, lust, disgust. Those, those things prompt us to act and to believe him more than, say, a logical argument. So, you know, he can, for example, convince you not to buy an annuity, not because of, say, the internal components of the annuity or the surrender charge schedule or the internal rate of return, but because, as he says, quote, annuities suck and anyone who buys one is an idiot. All right, that's his words, okay? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's all the while showing the, via, the, the viewing audience this major disgusted face on, on, on the show, right? So he literally gets you feeling disgusted with financial vehicles. And so, you know, that's sort of this, this uh, and, and he also gives you this almost spiritual love for his financial vehicles, which is why, of course, he's got endorsed local providers, which are agents, basically, mortgage specialists, investment advisors, term insurance companies, all of whom are on his show as sponsors and who, by the way, Dave gets paid to represent. So he really creates this sort of black and white world where, you know, if you don't believe him, then you must be some sort of an idiot or something. <laughs> so any thoughts on that, Holly? No, I mean, I was just like, who's going to who's gonna buy an annuity after hearing that? You know, yeah. you hear someone that 
um, maybe you you know look up to or you respect, and you know they tell you if you do this, you're an idiot. Well, mm-hmm. clearly you're not going to do that. Right. If Sean Connery says so, it must be true. <laughs> so my other major problem with Dave Ramsey is he gives this airtight advice that never changes and cannot ever change. Otherwise, the whole ship that he's built starts to sink. You know, if you make this one exception, you know, let's just say for out, out of sake of example, if Dave made an exception for a specially designed type of dividend paying whole life insurance designed for maximum cash accumulation with this awesome ability to borrow huge amounts of your capital and then create an income stream that was not taxed in retirement, uh, if he had to come to you know his senses on that, <laughs> then he'd have all kinds of people calling in and closing their accounts and you know having all sorts of trouble and his whole Titanic ship would just basically sink. Mm-hmm. So you know s- essentially I'd say basically his teaching comes down to close-minded versus open-minded. You know, he's training his listeners to agree with his concrete operational black or white arguments uh, with, with uh, you know, digging deeper into the recesses of their brain and really not training them. And I'll include myself originally when I first listened to Dave, myself included. I did not think critically to get to the bottom about what's really true about money. So what do you think? Uh, Holly, I mean, what does Dave really teach about all this? Yes. So what we wanted to do for those that may or may not be as familiar with Dave Ramsey and really what he teaches, we thought the easiest way to kind of dive into his material would be to share his, um, what he calls his seven baby steps. So, you know, seven baby steps are kind of like the foundation of his, his teaching. Certainly there's a lot more he talks about. There's a lot more he covers. He has an entire program you can go through that's like weeks long, but we thought this might just kind of be the easiest way to kind of dip our toe into his material. Um, And so everything that he preaches really comes down to these seven baby steps. And all of his avid followers, you know, have these steps memorized and are probably, you know, working towards them right now, you know, taking them one step at a time. All right. So we'll go through them one by one. Um, so first off here, um, want to give you just a overview of the of the seven, and then we'll dive on into them as well. So uh, first one is save a thousand dollars cash in a beginner emergency fund. Second, use the debt snowball method to pay off all your debts, but your house. Three, set up a fully funded emergency fund of three to six months of expenses. Four, invest 15% of your household income into retirement. Five, start saving for college. Six, pay off your home early. And seven, build wealth and give generously. So, I mean, just off the bat reading that, I mean, I can think of a lot worse plans than this, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But you must remember that when it comes to Dave Ramsey, his incredible success with kind of middle America is largely driven by his acceptability and appeal to the masses. So everything sounds great. It sounds wonderful, you know have emergency funds, save mm-hmm. for college, save yep. for retirement, you know, all sounds. All that would fit on a postcard, you know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it sounds great. Um, and that would be fine. You know, if you consider yourself average and you want to stay there, you know, the average U.S. personal savings rate is 5% and average net worth for heads of household under age 35 is 3600 for the record, just so you know. Dollars. Yes. Wow. Okay. Yes. Dollars. And of course, if you listen to this podcast, very likely you're trying your best not to be average though. Amen. So that's what that's what we'll be walking you through here today. So anybody who, um, I forget who originally said this, maybe it was Occam's Razor, I think. He, he's quoted as saying, you know, you want to create something as simple as possible, but no simpler. 
And one of the things I just really love about Dave Ramsey is his capacity to boil it down, the complexity of the financial universe, down to tiny little sound bites, seven little baby sound bites, known as his baby steps. So that's what I love about Dave. What about that, uh, Holly, do you appreciate about his seven baby steps? Yeah. And, you know, we agree that you need to take tiny baby steps as well, right? You know, when you first get started. Um, Really, you you know, you want to be trying to crawl, walk, limp, you know, whatever you can do to start moving forward toward financial freedom. And for many people, when they listen to Dave Ramsey, you know, this is the first time that they really pay attention to their finances at all. Right. So baby steps make sense because this is like their first attempt at anything. So mm-hmm. yeah, you know, let's let's keep it small. Let's keep it manageable. And he, he doesn't add things like, you know, get a budget together, that sort of thing. But that is sar- sort of baked into these seven baby steps as well. And I totally think that's awesome. And I totally applaud the listeners for taking those first steps. You know, anyone who listens to his advice, at least you're doing something. Uh, with your finances. And, you know, while I do believe that his Financial Peace University and his seven baby steps, I mean, it's right there in the metaphor, it's kind of like a financial kindergarten class. And that's awesome. You know, hey, why not, right? That's a great thing. Uh, I love kindergarten. I mean, the glue tasted great in <laughs> kindergarten. Uh, but, you know, I wouldn't want to live my life there. You know, it's you know, it's sort of the same concept with your finances. Uh, so let's get into this some. Holly, take us there. Where's What's the first baby step and what do we think about it? Yep. So we're just going to kind of go through each one and we're going to kind of share with you what works, what's maybe like a great idea about this um, baby step, and then also maybe possibly how it can be improved on in your own financial life. I mean, if it can be better, why not make it better? And then you'll just be better off for it. So that's just what we wanted to share with you here today. So let's jump on in. First one here, as I uh, mentioned before, number one is save $1,000 cash in a beginner emergency fund. So $1,000 cash. That's great. You know, a lot of people can't do it. We know from previous episodes and other stats we've shared with you guys that, you know, the average the average person doesn't even have $300. You know, so $1,000 is a great improvement, um, clearly, on <clears throat> a number of people's financial situation. But really, I, I would argue that that's way too small for emergencies. You know, don't move on from saving till you have more in cash uh, than just $1,000, in my opinion. Um, I get having a low bar to start, right? You know, so mm-hmm. start with a thousand, you know, start with a hundred, yeah. start with 500, start with a thousand. But, you know, according to the uh, Department of Labor Statistics, we've had 75% inflation since Dave Ramsey first gave that advice. Oh, wow. So huh. way That's back when he first started, when he first started everything um, and he first started kind of coming up with his baby steps, it was still a thousand dollars. And that has not changed over all those years. Because he can't years. change. Because he yeah. can't change. He can't exactly. Change he can't advice. change that. Uh, yeah, exactly. He can't, mm. he can't change what he's saying. And that's just the average inflation. I mean, most emergencies are things like medical emergencies or car repair, both of which have actually experienced double the average rate of inflation since 1992. So, you know, really, this means I would recommend even the smallest emergency fund for someone just starting out really shouldn't be any less than about $5,000, especially when we're talking about, and we'll get into this in the um, later steps when Dave's whole thing is helping people get out of debt. I mean, that's his big thing he's known for. And so, I mean, you have to have more than $5,000 if your goal is to help people get out of debt, because what's going to happen when those large emergencies do hit them, like the transmission, you know, like breaks down in the car or something major um, with your roof, you know, whatever, they're just going to go back into debt. So it's almost like he's not totally giving them um, the best, you know, the best step to start out. It's just not quite enough if 
truly he's trying to help him get out of debt. If That's that makes right. Sense. Yeah, well said. Well, and so right into step two, his I'd say, say his centerpiece, uh, while everything he talks about is a baby step, I'd say most people focus, or at least I did, focused on step number two, which is use the debt snowball method to pay off all your debt but the house. So Ramsey suggests paying off your debts in a very particular order. He says, order them on a spreadsheet or um, napkin or something, and your uh, list of debts should be from the smallest balance to the largest balance. Forget the interest rate. Uh, And even though math is on the side of paying your highest interest rate off first, in terms of just money out the door, uh, Dave says, you know, hey, it's not about math, it's about emotion. Once again, kind of going back to that concept, he says the point of debt snowballs toward the smallest balance first is simply this. You need some quick wins in order to stay pumped up and get out of debt. Now, I do want to say we are going to have a whole episode on step two and what we think about it in uh, episode 75 coming up here. So keep your ears glued. Uh, There's that, uh, you know, not kindergarten glue, but keep that ear uh, close to the podcast for a few more weeks. And episode 75, we are going to be jumping right into what we think about the snowball method and maybe something that we found that's even better. So anyway, my story is actually wrapped up in step two. I actually never got past uh, Dave Ramsey's step two for the record. I mean, Katrina and I, we graduated college with $120,000 in student loan debt to pay off. And, you know, unlike a lot of folks, it was a it was a crushing debt, but we were crushing it too. We were throwing extra, lots of extra uh, uh, money each month toward our debt. And we felt that that was a huge badge of honor for us. Even though the loan interest rate at that time, if you can believe it, listeners, we had a student loan interest rate of just around 2%. We thought it still made great sense to just throw everything toward our loans. You know, it was black and white thinking. Why not? If Dave says it, it must be true. Uh, That was sort of our thought on the whole thing. Even though we had no retirement savings, we kept stressing out about every single purchase. We had, uh, you know, uh, we were always under the gun trying to keep up with what St. Dave would tell us to do. (laughs) Uh, And we did go into detail in episode 68 on how we kind of awoke to maybe a different way of thinking. But as a quick reminder, it was my mentor who came to visit us And we talked about that in the previous episode 68. And he simply brought this question to me in the midst of our discussion that really stung in a good way. It was almost like a splinter in my mind. (laughs) My mentor said, Mark, is it possible that Dave Ramsey could be wrong about something? Could he be wrong that just paying off my debt, that just paying off the debt was not the very best thing my dollars could do for me? Now, I had never really paused to even consider that. It was almost like a brand new revelation. Uh, I now believe, listeners, that, you know, don't pay off your low interest debt, at least, until you begin saving for your future. I, and I honestly, I can't say that strongly enough. Sometimes you can even use debt for your convenience. You don't have to do this either or thing. It can be a both and. And as we've talked about in other episodes with bank on yourself policies, we'll teach you an exciting strategy to pay off your debt in, in episode 75. So I, de- I now believe that you can be better than debt-free, all right? I'm better than debt-free! We need people like <laughs> calling in to scream that on our show. <laughs> so that's episode. That's a baby step two. Holly, what, what are your thoughts on step two? Yeah, and I mean, I actually never personally went through Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. I was definitely aware of it, and I was like aware of him and kind of his school's thoughts. So I I would say I was kind of like casually influenced by it, where I, I knew people that had gone through it, and they would kind of throw their little bits that they'd taken away from it at me. And I was like, oh, okay, well, they learned that from some smart guys. So, okay, I guess that's probably good advice. Um, but I'd never really kind of 
inundated myself in it necessarily. Um, but it was always described to me as this like holy grail of financial wisdom almost. Like everyone that talked about it was like, ah, I, you know, like went through this and this is what I learned. And this is like the all supreme wisdom of, you know, finances. And um, I mean, I've definitely bumped into countless people who've been influenced by his teachings, whether they're like full blown followers or people that just kind of went, you know, took like a principle or two and and left the rest. Um, But specifically, I can think of someone who had described themselves kind of to me as making all the best decisions financially in their life because they were following Dave Ramsey. And they, you know, were describing how they avoided all possible debt, even to the extent of selling a car that had a loan on it just to get rid of the debt. So I can't say that I know, you know, all the exact details on everything in this person's, you know, life at the time um, that this was, you know, kind of casually talked about. But that kind of unwavering belief is impressive. I mean, I truly hope this person actually ran the numbers, though, to see what they were going to get as like a trade-in value on the car, since the dealership's always going to undercut undercut you when you're doing that, the amount of the markup on the new car. I mean, in order for that logic to work, they would need to buy a cheaper car in, or, in order to pay cash, since they're mm-hmm. trading in the other. Otherwise, they could just pay it off anyways. And so, you know, did they run the numbers on what's the life expectancy of that cheaper car that's probably older versus the newer, you know, yeah, quote unquote, more expensive car? Does it still make financial sense after thinking through all those, you know, all those different parts and pieces as well? Is it really worth the extra maybe thousand, two thousand dollars that they may have ended up paying in interest just so that they could say they didn't have the debt, you know, like that was the, that was the vibe I got as I was talking to them is it was, you know, it wasn't that they were doing it because it made financial sense. They were just doing it because they had to get rid of that debt. And they they wanted to say that they were debt free. And they wanted to be able to say that they were debt free. It's not about numbers. It's more about feelings, right? And, and, and advertising that you're among the, the saintly who are debt free. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, I mean, I really think like the, the thought process was, you know, debt is bad, must get rid of it by any means possible, which implies this idea that they'll do it even if it ends up costing me more in the long run or maybe not being the best financial decision for me. So, I mean, in my opinion, that's not really Dave Ramsey sharing sage advice. That's him just giving blanket statements as if everyone's situation is the same and all people should do all the same thing. It should be noted that uh, even with the most recent regulation from Department of Labor rules and so forth, Uh, Dave was actually explicitly um, brought up in the discussions around the Department of Labor's recent regulations. He is not regulated by anybody. Uh, He's not under any kind of SEC authority. He can say whatever he wants, and there's really no one to kind of um, fact check him, essentially. Mm -hmm. Because he's not licensed in anything. So if you're not licensed, then um, you can't be held accountable. They can't take your license away, right. you know, if you mm-hmm. don't have one. So consider that, you know, you're taking blanket advice from a man that, you know, doesn't even... Doesn't know you and yeah. doesn't have a license. Doesn't, yeah, I, doesn't even have a license, hasn't even studied things. Um, another one that always kind of gets me, and I, I definitely run into this one the most, is people who talk to me about um, their credit cards and how they don't have credit cards. And it's normally always like proclaimed quite proudly and with this air of superiority almost that they're able to like follow Dave so faithfully and like down to the letter that they cut up all their credit cards and they live on cash. And this particular point always amuses me. I mean, credit cards themselves are not bad. It's just simply how you use them. 
And so, I mean, I have no problem sharing that my husband and I not only have one, but multiple credit cards. I mean, I've had a credit card since high school. And I mean, that's so some people like alarm bells are going off, right? Like you had a credit card in high school. Like who put a credit card in the hands of a child, you know? (laughs) And I get it. It is risky. And I don't want that to be demeaned in this in any way. But I can also say at the same time, I've never paid one penny of interest in my life. You know, Mm -hmm. and so in that, to me, that's the way credit cards should be used. And that's the good side and the, the, you know, the way that it should be done. So, you know, not on. Yeah, I've earned also like thousands of dollars of cash back and bonus points and miles on credit cards. I mean, my husband and I, we use our credit card rewards for our traveling primarily. And again, still never paid one penny of interest. So, I mean, credit card companies, they put those offers out there. Use them to your advantage. Just make sure that they never use you to their advantage. Well said. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, in my opinion, if Visa wants to pay for me and my husband to go to Florida, New York, Denver, you know, all these places, why not let them? Mm -hmm. And those are actually all trips that we've taken just using credit card, you know, travel rewards and things like that. I think it comes along with your ability to pay off those cards each month that you uh, have chosen to keep your cards and, and use them effectively, mm-hmm. right? It comes with the value of liquidity uh, along with the, the cherry on top, which is free t-shirts and free airline miles and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so to me, it's just far more important to be responsible with the credit cards than to just kind of blindly commit to never having them. Mm. I mean, definitely yeah. one disclaimer, though, I want to make, and then I'll you know kind of get off my soapbox about this, but um, I do want to make it abundantly clear that I'm not trying to make some sort of reverse blanket statement that all people should have credit cards. I mean, you know yourself, you know your situation, you know whether you can be responsible with credit cards and make sure that they get paid off in full, in full each mm-hmm. and every month, not letting anything, you know, no balance roll over. Um, if it's truly best for you, though, to cut up those credit cards and get rid of the temptation to buy things you can't afford, then please do, by all means, take some time away from the plastic, do a detox, get yourself in the mindset of only buying something if you know there's enough money in the bank account to pay for it. I mean, really, credit cards should still be thought of as a debit card, even if it's a credit card. Um, you know, but for those who are responsible and keep good track of their purchases and they budget, credit cards can still be a great way to get a little extra kickback on all the purchases you are already going to make. That's right. Well said. Well, and you know what? Again, what we're ask, what we're asking folks to do is move from you know white Wonder Bread to whole grains, if I can use that metaphor. You know, it's it's the difference of sweet, uh, you know, processed. Dave Ramsey isms and getting into actually thinking. And that's that's partly why we made this podcast in the first place. So with step two, you know, again, we all don't want you to pay a bunch of debt to banks. I mean, we talk a lot about becoming your own source of financing, banking on yourself. So we just want you to say, be responsible with these tools that you have and actually use banks for your convenience rather than uh, them using you for their convenience. That's our kind of alternative step two. Step three, uh, Dave Ramsey says, set up a fully funded emergency fund of, of three to six months of expenses. Okay, so after you're debt free, finally you can have a little bit more liquidity than just that measly $1,000 in the bank. And finally you can set up three to six months uh, of expenses so, you know, in, in practice, I like this one. I, I really have very little to say, except that it doesn't go far enough into liquidity. 
And once again, uh, we've had several episodes on liquidity. And, you know, what I typically recommend, you know, is if you want, go back to some of our episodes we've done on liquidity. Uh, we had a whole episode on how it works and the value of it and so forth. Uh, so we'll get that in the show notes. But 12 months, I think, is the new standard for emergency funds, with six months being the absolute minimum. I mean, in the last recession, we saw many people out of work for two years or longer because that's how long it took for businesses to feel comfortable um, putting people back to work. And also, what if you and your spouse lose your job at the same time? Usually recessions are sort of like that, where both spouses could lose the income at the same time. Any thoughts on uh, step three, Holly? Nope, I think you said it well. Let's get on to step four. Yeah, four. So four is invest 15% of household income into Roth IRAs and pre-tax retirement accounts. So this 15% though, when he just kind of threw out this number of everyone should be, you know, uh, saving 15% of their income, it's based on this assumption. So he kind of ran, you know, these numbers to show you why 15% was this magic number and why you're going to be able to like fully be able to retire on that. And it's based on an assumption that you will be making 12% a year in the mutual fund accounts that you place that savings into. 12%. Okay. 12%. So you're taking 15% and that's growing by 12%, you know, compound each and every year until you retire. So that's where he kind of came up with this number. But I mean, we've talked about it again in past episodes, um, but we'll share it here again that, I mean, the num- that that's just not in the realm of reality. I mean, according to the S&P 500, their own numbers from 1928 to 2017, your probability of a real return, which is your also known as your CAGR or compound annual growth rate of if you were to get that real return of 12% over a 30 year period, the chances of that is only 2% okay, so of that me, actually happening. Let me just quickly step in here. So, okay. So Dave Ramsey's uh, processed sugar advice is that you put in 15% of your, you know, of your income, and then hopefully you'll get 12% a year. That's what the market does, so forth and so on. And what you just said is based on the S&P's own numbers, from basically the last century, you're real. You're really only going to have a 12% return, 2% of the time that you're investing. Mm-hmm. Yep. So people only have a 2% chance of actually obtaining those numbers. He's trying to tell you you'll have if you follow this advice. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. And then, so I mean, is 15% really going to be enough? Well, maybe. Maybe not, you know, based on those, if you can't really get that 12% return and maybe it's not, you know, just as simple as just everyone should say 15%. And, and let's just be clear. It's 12% of the time or 12% return, 2% of the time. So to have a 12% on average, uh, you only hit that 2% out of your 30 years. So what is that? That's like one year or something like that. So to have 12% every year returns on your piece of paper that the Dave Ramsey advisor would give you is pure fallacy. It's Mm -hmm. just outright lies. uh, And it messes people's goals up, to be very frank with you. Mm -hmm. So we don't like this one. Yeah, no, not not a fan of this one based on, you know, the fact that he's saying, he's just saying what everyone's going to get when you can't do that with the market. It's not how it works. Sorry. But yeah, so that's number four. Uh, Mark, how about number five? Numero uh, cinco. All right. Save for your college uh, college fund for your children. Okay. So for this baby step, Dave recommends starting to save for your college, for your kids. And who's got a problem with that, right? I mean, taking care of our kids. Nothing wrong with that. 
get to my basal ganglia and make me feel good, Dave Ramsey, get into my brain and help me feel better. So that's, that's, <laughs> that's all right. So nothing is wrong with saving for our future and our children's future. Saving and preparing for college is crucial. And many families are honestly derailed financially by not having anything set aside for college. Parents will dip into their retirement funds, go into debt themselves, and have nothing left uh, for themselves when their kids get through school. The problem with this baby step isn't so much the advice of saving, but in the advice of where to put that savings. So, you know, Dave, uh, for example, recommends 529 plans as the vehicle of choice to save for college. So as we've been discussing in our previous step, the big risk with 529 plans is that the fund inside the 529 plan typically, almost exclusively, are going to be invested in the market, which is subject to loss at any moment. What happens if the market crashes when your uh, kid is a junior, uh, right before he graduates and needs that money, right? So you'll be better off uh, than you know the family that didn't cho- choose to save at all. Possibly, just depends on how bad the market crash has you know, on your on your market portfolio. So unfortunately, we don't have time to fully unpack the pros and cons of the fund 529 plan today uh, because of our episode today. But we did do a whole episode and actually a series of episodes on different college savings vehicles where you can judge for yourself, which you believe to be the best for your kids' needs. So see episode 27, uh, which is titled A College Degree from Bank on Yourself. All right. So uh, baby step six, Holly, uh, get us into this one here. This one's pay off your home early. Yes. So this one you dive into once you've been able to accomplish steps one through five. So these baby steps are kind of meant to be implemented in order as well. So Dave recommends attacking your home mortgage next, going so far as to say any extra money you have should be going towards your mortgage. He even recommends refinancing into a 15-year mortgage just to get the job done faster. So again, the intention behind Dave's blanket recommendation seems harmless enough. Why not pay your mortgage off early and become completely debt-free, you know, as he would say. You know, this is the pinnacle of human existence, you know, he's (laughs) describing. Not having any debt on your shoulders. You're saving thousands of dollars of interest, right? I mean, it's absolutely true. Debt means interest, which means paying more money for the same thing over time. However, as we've talked about in previous episodes, not all debt is necessarily bad debt. Mm -hmm. And not all debt is bad. Specifically, episode 14, if you want to go back and listen, it's it's time to take an interest in interest. Go listen to that one and let us know what you think. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so when it comes to your mortgage, for most people, this is the cheapest money you'll ever be able to borrow. Mortgage and interest rates typically fall well below interest rates on car loans, credit cards, personal loans, and obviously, you know, payday loans or anything of that nature. So this is potentially an opportunity to take advantage of, not necessarily just discard without a second thought. If you start funneling every blessed dollar you have towards your mortgage, think about what else that money could be doing for you. What could it be used towards? What other opportunities are you missing out on because all your capital is just being thrown at your home of all things that you can never get that money back unless you refinance or do you know a HELOC or something like that. So also just look at the straight numbers. So let's say you have a you know, 6% interest rate on your mortgage, which is actually pretty you know, pessimistic. Many people have a lot less than that, um, you know, maybe in the range of 3 to 5% if you bought a home or refinanced in the last couple years in the kind of low interest rate environment we've been in. So I'm going high just for argument's sake. But let's just say that that interest rate is 6%. Do you think it's possible that you could earn more 
or make more than that doing something else with those same dollars. Dave Ramsey says you can do it double uh, 6% in the market. So. Exactly. So if you're a hardcore Dave Ramsey follower and an avid believer, you actually have to say yes to that <laughs> question because he claims you can make 12% in his mutual funds. So why in the world would you take, let's say, a, you know, let's just say you had a $1,000 tax refund and you're just like, what do I do with this? Well, Dave would say, put it into your mortgage if you're on, you know, step six. Um, you know, so why would you take that, put into your mortgage just to save yourself 6% when you could be making 12% on that same $1,000? So with Dave's mutual fund route, you'd still be ahead by 6%. So, you know, why wouldn't you do that? Now, I'm not claiming that you can actually get 12% every year in a mutual fund. So what? that's not my what? claim. Holly, <laughs> but I do know I was that cashing out all my accounts and putting them <laughs> with you. All right, yeah. just kidding. Um, but I do know that there are a number of financial vehicles and strategies out there where you can possibly be making more on your money than using it to pay off your low interest rate mortgage. So maybe the strategy made more sense You know, 30 years ago when Dave first started giving advice when mortgage interest rates were much higher. I mean, historically, mm-hmm. yep. mortgage rates you know, could be higher. Like, you know, 18, 20%. But I don't think it's necessarily as clear cut and dry today that that's what people should be putting all their money towards. So I believe this, again, speaks to Dave's inability to update his information or update his advice to reflect our kind of current financial world or environment. I mean, if he's going to build a religion, start a religion, Dave Ramsey. But, you know, when it comes to finance, finance is an ever-changing thing. And we have, you know, we, we have to deal with the reality of a changing environment. Uh, You know, if you want to create some beatitudes and create some followers, please do that. But, you know, don't make it about, you know, creating a financial system that never changes no matter what. Unfortunately, that's just not what he's doing on his show, which bothers us, I guess, Uh, bothers me. So step seven uh, is build wealth and give. So again, who's got a problem with that? I don't, I don't. You know, my only issue with uh, step seven is why not start giving on day one? Why not build wealth on day one? You know, if it's going to be in a consecutive order like this, I would rather us start saving for the future. I'd rather start giving toward the things that we care the most about. And by the way, why make this a baby step? Why not make this the huge leap that you make at the end of the show here? So why not do it instantly and even with other people's money? Now, what we teach here uh, is using this thing called a death benefit, which is exactly what, you know, Dave Ramsey is talking about, allowing us to use the life insurance company's money to give incredible multiples of our own contribution to the causes and the people we care about the most. It, It allows us to leave the most amount of legacy with the least amount of our own money. So that's step seven. Any thoughts on step seven, Holly? Nope. I think that's pretty good. So, and we've seen it happen. Hundreds of millions of dollars uh, from our clients will be passed to charities and individuals and, and causes that they care about, literally. So as we wrap up, the concrete operational finance versus critical thinking skills doesn't come easy. And I totally, hats off to Dave for creating a processed financial Twinkie. So if, <laughs> if you want something more than the financial Twinkie that he offers, that's really where we try to take us from baby steps to a marathon. And what we hope to do in our conversation is not just to do things, which is what Dave says, just do it. Don't think, just do it. Uh, but to really stop and think, to think different about your money, economy, and future, as we say on every episode. Dave doesn't want people thinking. He just tells them what to do. So I'd say it's all about how you think. We almost called this the Think Different podcast. But you know, if you remember some of the commercials from Apple, 
that probably wouldn't have gone over so well with copyright. So think different, right? So any other final thoughts here, Holly? Nope, I think that's pretty good. So, I mean, again, you know, these these baby steps are not all bad ideas. That's not the purpose of this episode, and I hope that's not right. all that our, you know, you our listeners will be taking away from this. He's, you know, Dave Ramsey's not a bad guy, and I truly don't believe, at least I don't believe that he's maliciously delivering, right. you know, false information or bad information to people. I just believe that, you know, at the end of the day, he is a businessman and a salesman, and he has to sell an idea his idea of what financial peace looks like. And in order for it to sell, it has to be extreme and he has to deliver it with unwavering conviction. So like you mentioned, Mark, you know, beginning episode, he just simply can't give out exceptions or leave wiggle room anywhere or his whole thing falls apart. But when he doesn't leave room for any sort of exception or or change, then that's where sometimes I think it can become false misinformation rather than true, you know, information that anyone should, should follow. Um, so, I mean, but Dave does have a ton of great nuggets of wisdom and ideas to help you better your financial life. So take it all in. Just make sure that you're also stopping and evaluating whether it all fits into your particular situation or perhaps another strategy might just be better. So thank you everyone for joining us for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.